Welcome to the Digital Transformation Show by Blurt, where we unpack what it takes for SMEs to transform their business through technology, leadership, and creativity. Let's jump into today's episode. Welcome to this episode of the Digital Transformation Show by Blurt. Today, I am joined by two of my amazing colleagues, Stuart and Constantine. And today, we're going to be discussing business fundamentals for business transformation. So I just want to jump right into it. Guys, where is the best place for us to start when we want to talk about business fundamentals? Where do we begin? The seven questions are what we call the fundamentals um, here at Blurt. We have a, a, a simple but under the layers complex um, framework that we help organizations think through the business fundamentals. And really the, the idea for this was um, birthed out of um, some research we were doing as the, the organization was growing and maturing. So I'll tell a story. Now, I'll put a caveat on this story. I'm not sure if this is true, partly true urban myth or just good business mythology. Um, mm-hmm. and, and the story goes like this. Uh, at the turn of the century, um, we were in between uh, the first Gulf War and the second Gulf War. Um, uh, the first Gulf War was, was there to, uh, to liberate Kuwait um, as, uh, as the then Iraqi nation had gone in to, to take its oil. Um, as the Allies went into Iraq and fought that war, at the, the end of the 20th century, and that's the key point here. They got all the way to Baghdad, quickly packed up, turned around, went home. And, and mission accomplished, um, objective achieved. Um, and General Norman Schwarzkopf uh, completed, completed that mission. However, uh, there was a big learning. And the big learning was um, we cannot continue to operate and fight wars at the end of the 20th century in the way we've been fighting them for the whole of the 20th century. Mm. And the reason for that was our enemy no longer wears a uniform. Our enemy um, is not in a structured hierarchy that's, that's traditional. Our enemy doesn't have a front line in, in the traditional sense. Our enemy can go from, from one day or one moment um, uh, cooking food or selling something on a street corner to actually being an engaged soldier um, on the street. That's a completely different environment. And that environment uh, sent shockwaves through um, the Allied forces, which forced, uh, no pun intended, um, a lot of introspective thinking around um, who are we, what do we do, how do we work as a military. And and it was actually the British military that um, developed a really smart tool to help their officers think, plan, act and be more strategic more effective, faster and better in the battle planning situation. And they, they developed a military context, which they call the seven questions. You can go and Google this and you can read the British military seven questions that they train every officer in. And I thought that's uh, the perfect example of the change of the 20th century to the 21st century, the movement from structured hierarchical leadership into what we would call character-based or situational leadership. And situational leadership is all about giving your team a language, a framework, um, a simple process that can unlock complex problems uh, and and a process that you can work through quickly and easily as a team to achieve a plan to move forward or to assess an initiative or a plan against who you are, what you are, why you're different. 
and that's situational leadership. So the seven questions that we talk about um, at Blurt are nothing like um, a military seven questions. Um, that's that's different context. Uh, we're men of peace, um, <laughs> and, uh, and and our seven questions help organisations think through the business fundamentals. Yet we battle against uh, inefficiencies and lack of, uh, you know, achievement of potential. That's our battle. Man, that is awful. (laughs) I love that. That is so true. (laughs) That is so true. Yeah, that's, yeah, our our battle is with our our minds, um, all those things that we we think we can't achieve and... um, and yeah, it's it's helpful sometimes uh, to get to get your testosterone on and think about marketplaces as as battles. And um, as a side, there's a great book written called Marketing Warfare uh, by um, I think it's an Al Reese Jack Trout. Um, and uh, so a little bit of homework for our listeners: go and Google. Um, I think it's called Marketing Warfare. Al Reese Jack Trout. You'll love it. Really simple framework on applying some military principles to um, to strategic marketing, but. That's not the purpose of this podcast. <laughs> well, I, I, I want us to break it down because I know at Blurt we have our seven questions just like you were saying. So uh, maybe, Stu, you can start. Maybe break each one of those questions that we ask at Blurt down for our listeners. I oh, know they're secret. They're secret. We can't tell you. No, oh, no, no. come on. <laughs> okay. No, this, and, and look, these, um, these are not secret. These are, um, these are the fundamentals. If you ask and answer these questions on a regular basis, you will naturally begin a process of alignment and focus um, to become clearer and clearer and clearer about who you are, what you stand for, and and what you bring of value. So these are the seven questions. I'm going to run through them. Um, The first question is, what is our vision? Is this driven by our purpose? Vision and purpose, two very different things. Mm what's holding us back from reaching that vision um, and, and how, how can we um, overcome those obstacles? First question. Second question. Wait, real quick, real quick. Before we jump to two, can you, can you make that distinction for us, purpose and vision? What's yeah, the difference? Um, that's a, it's a great question. And uh, uh, my father's an English, English teacher principal, so uh, I love etymology. Uh, I didn't have a choice. Hmm. Uh, so here's the difference. Um, I want you to think about vision as a uh, subjective picture of the future where the world is different because we've achieved our purpose and I want you to think about vision as something we are here to do that solves a specific problem. So I'll give you an example. Um, Our vision is to see our clients build the business of tomorrow, um, whatever that looks like, our purpose is to bring them clarity and help them solve problems across people, strategy, process, technology on a day-to-day basis. Um, see the difference? Yes. Uh, purpose is very focused on problem solving. Vision is around the effect that solving that problem has on the world around you. Um, and a great way of thinking about vision is if, if we achieve our vision, how is the world different? Mm. Where we achieve our purpose... Um, what problem have we solved? And I think that's um, that's one of the well, it's one of the fundamentals uh, for for that exact reason. And lots of organisations um, get confused around purpose and vision. Um, purpose is very, um, in some respects, short-minded. We should achieve our purpose on a daily basis. Mm. 
yet we should never achieve our vision. Mm. It should be so big and exciting and unattainable that it, it inspires us to come back in tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. But achieving our purpose, well, that's fulfilling and that's where we, we begin to get a sense of belonging and a sense of fulfilment. Make sense? Yes, yes, thank you for that. Okay, next one. Awesome. <clears throat> right, question number two. So first, um, uh, first question is about vision. Second question is about our market. Um, uh, and it goes like this. What is our market? Who is our ideal customer? Are we perceived as different? And is this difference competitive advantage? Does this difference help us? <clears throat> so what is our market or what, what, what domain, um, as some might call it, or what segment are we, are we playing in? Who is our ideal customer? Um, people often talk about personas and that's a very helpful way of articulating an ideal customer. Are we perceived as different and is this competitive advantage? So lots of organisations are perceived as different. Um, those differences aren't always advantages. Sometimes they're, they're negatives. So this is about unlocking um, the beginnings of how and what market space you can own. So... Um, second question is around market. Third question, third question is this. What is our strategy? Where is our growth focused? And does this support how we are positioned? So um, if you want to do a little bit of further reading on strategy, I'd, I'd recommend people like Michael Porter from, from Harvest, Harvest, from Harvard, uh, who has um, some great uh, white papers like uh, can you say what your strategy is, um, articulating um, the fundamentals of strategy. And, and, and it's worth explaining, um, strategy is not a plan. Strategy is an endpoint, a position. Um, for example, we started off talking, this, talking in this podcast um, with a military example. Um, strategy is like on a, on a military set of instructions at the very top, there reads this thing called the commander's intent. Uh, and the commander's intent is the outcome, the position that group of, of people need to achieve at the end of those instructions. The instructions might be detailed. Go and take Hill 517, deploy air cover to do this and ground forces to do that. And there might be a very, very detailed plan sitting within the instructions. But at the very top sits one clear message, the commander's intent. Now, in a business context, we'd call that strategic positioning. What is the position we need to hold in the marketplace? Um, for example, <clears throat> you know, the, the classic in all the business textbooks example on strategic positioning is, is the Hertz-Avis story. Right. Um, it's an oldie but a goodie. And um, uh, the, 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 throughout the 80s, early 90s, um, uh, Hertz was uh, number one in the rental car market, continued to be number one, held that number one space for decades. Avis was um, always two or three and could never quite break that number one position and, and really got to the point of frustration and tried lots of things um, in order to knock Hertz off their perch. And uh, they changed their strategic position. They changed the idea that the customer needed to hold in, the, in their mind about that brand, that organisation's position in the marketplace. And in changing that position, they created competitive advantage. What mm. did they do? They identified that they were, so they built the position of fact, that's the first thing, they identified that they were always number two. 
And I said, how do we turn number two, that fact, that belief, into a positive? Mm. And they said, well, if we're number two, that means we try harder. That means our service is better. So if you want people that try hard and your service is better, we'll come to Avis. Mm. And very cleverly, they changed their strategic position in the marketplace and in the mind of the customer, the customer began to say, wow, well, Hertz is number one, they don't care. Um, Avis is number two, they try harder. And the simple slogan was, we try harder. Hmm. And they positioned themselves against the market leader and created competitive advantage off that belief and that truth. And that strategic positioning, articulating who your customer is, um, uh, where you want to play, what helps you win, um, and, and clearly communicating that. And, and it's the job of marketers and branders to, to turn that into the, the commercial poetry that, that good advertising is. However, um, the, the, the <laughs> great, great uh, end story to that, um, and go and read it, it's probably in every business textbook, um, they, they achieved their goals so well that they changed their position. Um, mm-hmm. Uh, i.e. they got to number one and then thought, oh, we can't say we try harder, uh, changed their position and dropped back to two and three. Um, and so they learnt a very careful lesson that even at number one you still need to try harder. Um, and so, uh, so that story of strategic positioning, um, where you position a business um, and then communicate it, I, th- I think is wonderful. So that's, that's question number three. Um, there's so, so much in that. And this is why these fundamentals, when you ask an answer, they're simple questions, but to be honest, you could spend a day exploring them as a business and still not get depth. Yeah, each question. Each question, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. So, and, and remember, these questions are contextual. Um, vision, market, strategy. But the fourth question is once we have um, the emergence of clarity on strategy is around our business model. Um, what is our business model? Is it creating value? What metrics tell us it's creating value? And what practices reinforce the value creation process to build out competitive advantage? So um, that's probably worth unpacking for a minute, isn't it? Mm, yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Okay, so uh, what is a business model? A business model is simply a, a, a picture, a map, a canvas, a diagram that articulates how you create commercial value. Um, there's, there's loads of great books on this. One of, one of our favourites that we often use with clients, uh, Business Model Generation, the, the hit book of the two 12s, 13s, 14s. Um, uh, that's what a business model is. It's just a, just a diagram that articulates how you create commercial value. Um, so contextually, we've articulated strategic positioning where we need to operate in the marketplace because we've articulated our market. We've got some clarity on vision and purpose. Now let's get more granular. Let's start to unpack the business model. So the business model articulates how you create value. Metrics, well, KPIs, outcomes, dashboards, charts, um, they're the things that are going to tell us if we're actually achieving on the value creation process. So we're starting now to get quite uh, quite financial, um, and that, that's important. We haven't really got too financial yet. Right. Um, so uh, metrics tell us if we're creating value, uh, we're making money, losing money, increasing margin, decreasing margin, increasing sales, decreasing, et cetera. Um, practices, how we act, what we do, what, what 
brand activities or, or customer activities do we do that reinforce the competitive advantages? Now, this is this is actually a topic that deserves a whole other podcast, um, but I'll explain this, and I'll use IKEA as an example. Um, if if we say, well, think of IKEA and uh, what what things come to mind, Alex? What what comes to mind when you think of IKEA? Mm, simple, uh, great looking, minimal, affordable furniture for my house. My whole house is furnished by IKEA, basically, <laughs> because <it's, laughs> it looks good and it's cheap. <laughs> there you go, Con. What do you think? Pain in the ass. Extra like four hours <laughs> together. True. Always Pieces missing. Where does this go? Who do I call? <laughs> What's the point? I should have gone and bought it fixed. Finally, finally, you know, in a final uh, fitting. Oh, that's it. IKEA's never going to sign that contract with Blue. <laughs> uh, it's true, true. I forgot to mention that that four hours, it always costs me on the weekend too. But <laughs> what, what, Why do you have to do that? Because it's... Because it's flat packed and... There you go. You know? And, and um, why does it look good, Alex? Because it's... It, what, what type of design is it? Minimal. Minimal, Scandinavian. Scandinavian. Yes. Uh, so it's got a Scandinavian name, so... You can't even understand the product. <laughs> <laughs> right. It must be good because it's foreign name. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, as, as we've been talking, you could probably drill all of that down to a few key thoughts. It's flat packed. It's affordable or, or cheap. Um, doesn't mean they don't make margin, but it's certainly priced too. Um, thirdly, uh, it's, um, well, what we didn't talk about, where do you get Ikea furniture from? Mm. From Ikea. And the, what, what's the Ikea look warehouse. like? Yeah. Yeah, yeah ginormous. It feels like you're getting it wholesale. <laughs> That's right. Exactly. Yeah. The sales experience, the warehouse experience is different. So, you're locked in. You can't, like, you've got to go all the way through the beginning. <laughs> It sounds like Khan's had some traumatic experiences in Ikea before. <laughs> if you've built one piece of Ikea and you build another, you don't want to. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm so sorry, Ikea. It's <laughs> the truth. <laughs> The truth. If you sponsor the show, though, uh, yeah, true. <laughs> <laughs> um, but if you build one, you can build another. Can't you? They've got a system to it, so it's there's probably four key competitive advantages: um, design, Scandinavian look, feel, price, um, the buying experience in the warehouse, uh, the sales distribution, and then lastly, uh, system. Uh, if I if I can if I can mallet one bit of in the, I don't even know what you call them. What do you call those things? Pegs. I know, peg, yeah. <laughs> Pegs. And I, I, can, <laughs> I can understand the screw mechanism. I can build a chair or a, uh, a desk mm -hmm. or whatever. So those four things uh, are competitive advantage. Um, I could go and open a shop down here on our little town square high street that had Scandinavian looking furniture that was cheap. That could be a big shop just to make you feel like a warehouse and it could have a bit of a system to how it's put together. Can I beat Ikea? No. No. Why not? Because you don't, 
you're not known for this. There's a lot of uh, assumptions in the identity of IKEA that you know what you get. It's self-selecting. The customer knows what they're going in for. That's right. Because they're consistent. Yeah, and they're consistent. Mm -hmm. And they're like established. They establish themselves as and that that what. person. I don't know if if your flat pack um, Stuart is going to add another hour or two to my weekend. It's probably going to add at least a day to your weekend. Uh -huh. So here's the thing. When you, when you take those four simple competitive advantages and you systemize those competitive advantages out across your business model, you create consistent training manuals for your people. You mm. create consistent instructions for your customers. You create a huge bunch of warehouses in China to manufacture the products in a consistent way from your designs that are coming from design experts around the world. When you have an organised database that is global, that in um, Brooklyn, New York, I can go and buy a, I can't pronounce it, a chair, yeah. and I can also get that on the Gold Coast in Australia or in Soho in London. Uh, then you begin to build practices across the business model that are consistent. Mm. And as you layer those across the business model, you actually create compounding competitive advantage. Um, this is, this is, I'm going on a little bit with this one, but it's a really important concept and we'll spend some more time on this. Every time you create one extra down the business model business system and feature that reinforces your competitive advantage, you actually multiply competitive advantage. Mm. And, and so as you grow your business, and this is how businesses scale, they take high-level simple competitive advantages and embed them across the business as, as structure, and then you're actually creating 10, 20, 30, 40, 100, 200, 1,000, 4,000 mm. points competitive advantage and this is actually what warren buffett calls a moat around a business when he invests in businesses he looks for that moat that competitive advantage of okay well, how hard is it for somebody to to attack this castle cross this moat and take me out i can go and create a little store on the high street that looks like ikea but ikea is going to crush me without even doing anything because the customer already has built into that experience because consistency and focus. Mm. I have to go and invest billions in Chinese warehouses and global systems and, and all this other stuff in order to beat IKEA. So I look at that and I go, you know what? My barrier to entry is now $100 billion. Mm. Yeah. Um, and so therefore I, I won't go ahead. That's, that's why business model mapping aligned with competitive advantage is so important for businesses that want to scale. Gosh, we're only a question four, so I'm going to make this real fast. Uh, You're yeah. going to rush through it? Maybe we can cut it into the next, the next <coughs> round. But I was just going to add on this side, um, business model innovation has been a pretty sexy term and is something that investors and venture capital firms look for. Um, and that's what you see. Uh, that's why, you know, the uh, value around subscription revenue uh, as a business model um, you know, in other revenue streams that have sort of propelled and innovated um, your typical advertising space, uh, the way Airbnb charges, um, and, you know, we're, we're, things like reputation management and social income are also a business model because, 
you know, I want to be seen to be a good host or a good guest hmm. or uh, a good driver or a good uh, passenger, hmm. right? And um, interesting, there's actually an episode on this on Black Mirror. And if you watch Black Mirror, it's hilarious. Um, but about the whole, you know, there's no money anymore. It's just credits around social income um, that goes horribly wrong. But anyway, uh, it's worth it's worth investigating. But business model innovation is a really interesting space. Um, and, you know, if you can create competitive advantage but also protect that competitive advantage because of your business model, mm-hmm. that's a way to actually penetrate an existing install base like IKEA but take a different approach to going towards it. Like if you took a subscription management a subscription approach to buying furniture, maybe that would actually eat into what IKEA is doing unless, but the, the thing is, it's easy for IKEA to turn that on as well. Mm-hmm. Right? And that's, that's uh, I think that's a key point. Um, it doesn't mean don't look at the big guys and, uh, uh, and have a crack. It means don't look at the big guys and copy. Uh, it means innovate. Yeah. What could you innovate? Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. that, that's the key. That's the key message. So question... Question five. Um, so we've talked vision, we've talked market, we've talked strategy, we've talked business model. Um, question five is actually where we start to go to market. And um, question question five is what is our customer's experience? How do we acquire, retain and grow our customers through our brand personality and experience? And what improvements need to be made across that? It's question five. Um, Customer experience is best defined as the, the unification of sales, marketing, service um, across a unified platform uh, so that you can uh, acquire and accelerate um, that, that customer journey. Uh, question six uh, is very similar. Um, mm-hmm. And question six is framed in the same way, but it's all about our employees. What is our employees' experience? How do we acquire, retain and grow our talent through our core principles, uh, so culture, values, and what improvements need to be made. And, uh, and question five and six really work together, um, the go-to-market customer experience, the go-to-market employee experience. Right. Uh, there's lots we could jump into here, but I'll get question seven out um, because we might spend the next few episodes unpacking some of this, this thinking. Question seven is actually the so what. Uh, if you ask and answer these six questions, you'll end up with lots of information. And <clears throat> you'll also probably end up with um, <laughs> lots, of, lots of things to do and it can be quite overwhelming. And the reality is you, you can't boil the ocean, you can't change a business in a week or a month or a quarter, but you can affect some change. And so the principle at work here in the seven questions is the principle of continuous improvement. Mm. And continuous improvement is just saying, whatever we did yesterday, today, we need to do it better. We are not perfect. We just need to improve. So question seven is this, what one, two or three things that if we delivered over the next quarter or, or half or month or week, however often you're asking formally these questions, what one, two or three things that if we delivered or improved over the next X period will shift the needle on the business, mm. actually create change. And for, for one business, it might be around the employee onboarding experience. For another business, it might be about sharpening the strategic focus. For another business, it might be 
finding out how to do some innovation in business model. For another business, it could just be optimising customer experience. The point here is that whether you're a startup that's been around for 12 hours or a, or a General Electric that is a, um, a powerhouse in the marketplace, you can ask and answer these seven questions and create business alignment, focus and action. And so that's what we would call situational leadership. Mm. We, we can set horizons on where we think we might be in 6, 9, 12, 18, 24 months, and they're good. However, <clears throat> at the end of the day, what must we do today and tomorrow to affect change that's in alignment with who we are, what we stand for, um, and why we're different in the marketplace? So that's what we call the business fundamentals. Um, mm. it's, uh, so there's six, sorry, seven uh, I would say simple questions, but when you actually read them, understand them and pull them apart, they, they do take you down a complex path, mm. uh, which can bring back um, through discussion and what, uh, what we would call a little bit of Socratic dialogue, um, mm. uh, the simplicity of thinking through your business. Yeah. So I, I, I think there's so much here to unpack and I think everything you guys have said has been awesome so far. I think I want to end on one final question for today's episode and we will unpack more of this, I think in our next episode, but maybe Constantine, you can feel this one listening to all this. I think the one thing I keep thinking about is, man, this is so good. When is the right time for a leader of an organization to ask these questions? And uh, that's question number one. And then question number two is how should a, a brand or an organization go and create their own questions? Like how, how do you find your, the, the right questions for what you're doing to be asking and how often should you be asking them? I believe um, you should be asking these questions as often as possible mm. um, for a number of reasons. Um, I strongly believe we as human beings uh, um, have amazing potential, but our biggest shortcomings come from our biased beliefs and our own bullshit, otherwise known as denial. Mm. Uh, and um, asking these questions allows you to get underneath it. Uh, asking these questions uh, regularly and holistically throughout the organization creates a much more democratized um, and inclusive culture. Uh, because if, if everyone from the uh, accounts team to the cleaners to the leadership team are asked these questions, imagine what you could learn about the assumptions within the organisation, right. but that also drive people to get uh, co really uh, next-level coherence and alignment within the organisation. Mm. Asking these questions daily, and that's why, I mean, I'm a massive student of radical self-inquiry um, uh, from my own personal you know, mental and performance health, uh, let alone for organisational. There's no reason why we can't be steeped in this practice as per, you know, what Stuart said, you know, being and this, this forms the core of Socratic dialogue. So, you know, as a minimum once a month, as a, as a, as, but preferably almost every day, um, yeah, whether it's, you know, situational or structured, you know what I mean? Okay. I think that's and you know even one of those sections there including the first one to, to the last one we could spend a whole day just on one question right and by asking the right questions and going even deeper and deeper you actually surface the bias the beliefs and the bullshit um because on the other side of that is where the opportunity lies on the other side of that is where you get to a space of i don't know let's find the answer mm. and there's nothing wrong with that 
the thing that stifles innovation, the thing that stifles growth, the thing that stifles um, uh, achieving potential is thinking that I know what we need to do. Mm. Well, in, and as you know, um, you know, the rise of uh, entrepreneurialism, the rise of innovation all comes because someone calls out, you know, I don't know how to answer this or why does this have to be so? And then going on a uh, scientific approach to validating and taking an evidence-based approach to validating that there is a better way of achieving uh, product market, price to market, you know, uh, first mover advantage fit. Got it. And then, and then real quick, how, how would you recommend people approach creating their own questions for their own business or their organization? Should they just use ours at Blurt? <laughs> I don't think that'd be a bad place to start by any means, but uh, if they want to, how, where would you recommend they begin? Well, we'd, we'd recommend using uh, our seven questions. Uh, just, uh, just use those. It's just different data that they're going to create. Um, yeah. These, these questions um, apply equally to a, um, an organization like, like Blurt as they do to um, well, any organization selling anything um, because these are just business fundamental questions. Mm. Got it. And it's the, so you don't need to create your own. Uh, you, can, you can adapt, tweak or change. Um, uh, the, the purpose of the questions um, is to help leaders think in the situation around what needs to change. So um, sometimes, uh, you know, I'm sure I talk to other leaders, we all do this. You find you've got 15 minutes or 30 minutes in a coffee shop or somewhere where you can think an airport lounge or something. And I often just grab my notepad and I just draw my little circle and spin up the vision market strategy, business model, CX, EX. And I kind of just doodle my way around, you know, draw and write and think and, and, and go, oh, yeah, that happened the other day in the office or this person said this or, you know what, we just onboarded somebody and far out. We had terrible resources. Gosh, that's got to change. Um, so you start to just think your way through it. And, and the whole purpose of the, the um, seven questions is to create a framework, a little bit of design thinking framework, um, to help you put the pieces of the puzzle into some kind of structured order so that you can, you can organize it. You can understand it. It's, it's a system of design thinking. Mm. And, and so it, I would encourage you as, as a leader, a manager, or anybody in an organization to, to sit there and draw out a little circle, break it up into six bits of a pie, um, go vision, market strategy, business model, customer experience, employee experience, and then underneath that, a really big so what, mm. um, which is a nicer way of saying what one, two or three things that if we improve could shift the needle mm. on the business. Uh, and, and, and go for you, either for yourself or for the team you lead or for the business you run, um, start to ask an answer. And if you do that regularly um, and go, cool, today my action is X or tomorrow my action is Y, then you will start to lead people and manage people towards a better outcome. Awesome. Can I add one last thing? There is a bit of an art to actually facilitating the questions, facilitating the Socratic dialogue, um, and that's what we do at Blurt mm. um, because um, it is really, it, this is uncomfortable work. Mm. Yeah. It's uncomfortable work. So doing it yourself without experience, you will, you will basically stay in comfort. 
So, you know, yeah. staying relevant moving forward um, with more competition entering a market space with different types of approaches with technology and AI and blockchain, it's going to, you have to be comfortable in discomfort. <laughs> yeah. I'll give you, I'll give you my personal experience on that. And, um, uh, as, as a young business in startup, <clears throat> um, you know, as, as I'm thinking through these models and working them through with clients, I'm, clearly I'm practicing them on myself. I'm sitting there in the coffee shop asking, answering those questions. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's easy on your own to go, oh, that hurt, I'll just skip over that. As the business grows a little bit and you get, you get to get an advisory board or a board around you, a group of advisors, um, we started to ask and answer these questions um, on a more regular cadence every quarter. Uh, we'd get off site, get in a room and ask and answer these questions. And when there's people you respect in that room who are asking and answering those questions about the business you're running and surfacing the things that you don't like, uh, gosh, it gets uncomfortable fast. Mm. And, um, uh, and it really does require a sense of openness, transparency, vulnerability and humility, but also passion and leadership to really go, all right, that's an issue. Yeah, that's, that's an issue in me or that's an issue in the systems or that's an issue in that person. Man, you know what? Let's cut that out. Let's sort that crap out. And, uh, yeah. um, and so it, what Con's saying is exactly right. And, mm. and, and personally, as, as, you, as you would go through this as a leader, do not just do this on your own. Uh, find people, preferably us, to do it with, um, <laughs> or, or just uh, walk in with these uh, with these seven questions. Um, I think that's a really good practical application, and uh, and you know we wouldn't be doing our job if we didn't say, if you're listening to this uh, in a coffee shop, um, on a train, in a plane, uh, if you're driving, pull over first, um, stop and ask and answer these questions for your business, your work, uh, see what happens, and. Uh, and I promise you that if you act on your insights, uh, you will have a better life. That is great. Such a great episode, guys. So we will be back next week with another new episode. So in the meantime, everyone listening, please head over to iTunes and leave us a big five-star rating and review to help spread the word about digital transformation. As always, you can find us on Twitter at Blurt underscore loud, and you can ask any questions you may have about digital transformation. So until next time, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Digital Transformation Show by Blurt. Blurt.